Patty and Anthony, appreciate that. Acts chapter 11 is where we're at tonight, Acts chapter 11. And we don't have uh, that much time left this evening, but if you promise to listen real fast, I think we can get through the whole chapter of uh, Acts chapter 11 tonight. And uh, so much here, we'll just see what the Lord takes us this evening, but uh, it's uh, been a blessing to see uh, the vision that Peter had and then Cornelius had and how God used that to get the gospel to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that the gospel is made available to the Gentiles? Amen? Because you probably are one, and I, I know I am one, and so I'm glad that God's grace is for every man, that we are not just in, uh, that there's not just a certain race or a certain people that God loves more than than somebody else. It does not matter what skin color, what part of the world we come from. God's love is to everyone and to each person equally. So this was made clear. It hadn't always been. <clears throat> People haven't always seen it that way. And so uh, this was a blessing to go through Acts chapter 10. And uh, now we're going to see tonight even, as Peter comes back, that there's not everybody is pleased about this gospel message be made available to the Gentiles. So let's look if we can start at verse number 1 of Acts 11. And we'll read a few verses and then we'll just kind of look at the verses as we go through. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up in Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. In other words, the Jews, the ones who were uh, who, who the Jewish leaders there, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. You remember who they said that about before Peter? <laughs> Jesus. And Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying. And then he goes in through the whole story that we spent last the last two weeks actually Going through this, he's in Joppa, he saw a vision, he was praying, the, the heavenly buffet came down in front of him, and, and uh, on it were clean and unclean animals, and God said to eat, and Peter said, not so, Lord, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the back and forth there, it came down three times, <coughs> look down to verse 10, and this was done, oh, let's go to verse 8, but I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. Now, I think it's interesting how we sometimes feel the freedom to look at a command of God and, and answer the way Peter did. Not so, Lord. As we mentioned before, you can't say that. That's a contradiction in terms. You can't say not so, Lord. He's either Lord or you're going to say not so. One of the, one of the two is true. You can't say not so, Lord. That's like uh, not going to do it, boss. One of the two is not true. One of them is not applicable to you. So he said not so, Lord. And then, uh, this was done, verse 10, three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come to the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he goes on, and he talks about how Cornelius, uh, the meeting there, he showed us, verse 13, how he had seen angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell thee words where that, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? Hallelujah. And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. 
Then it remembered I, the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what, there's a good question, what was I that I could withstand God? We could stop there and just preach on that for about an hour, couldn't we? What was I that I could withstand God? Who am I to tell God what to do with his mercy and his grace? But in other words, by the way, there's a hidden thing in there. Who am I? He's also saying, who are you listening to me? You can withstand God. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. We talked last week uh, about this, uh, this message, uh, the meeting, and now we're going to talk about the reaction to it. Father, I pray that you'd help us this evening as we look into this story May it apply to us in Jesus' name. Amen. He came back to an accusation. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about a critical spirit. No matter what we do for God, no matter how successful we are for what we do for God, there's always going to be somebody with a critical spirit. Well, the truth is, the same happened for Peter. Uh, Peter comes back. I mean, here you have the gospel going to the Gentiles. You have one of the greatest truths of the grace of God uh, reaching an entire world, and you got people who are grumpy about it. <laughs> Just the way it is sometimes in our churches. But uh, I don't know how they were told. I don't know how they heard. Palestine's a little country, uh, and the Jews evidently had a very efficient grapevine. Uh, but uh, maybe Peter's partners, the witnesses, came back uh, before he did, but we can, uh, be, and we can be sure the talk, it was the talk of the town. But when Peter arrived, uh, before... He arrived, they heard about it in Judea, and sufficient time had passed that they had been able to digest the information, and it had soured the stomach of a few of them. So the apostles were now going to start fellowshipping with the Gentiles. There'd be a problem accepting this. Isn't it funny how in our sin nature, there's just like a built-in racist belief against somebody? I mean... It's amazing how people, I mean, we're all people. There shouldn't be any kind of thoughts like that at all. And yet, all throughout history, we've had to face this. There was no way that they could ever accept a Gentile and fellowship apart from circumcision, they were saying here. So verse 2 and 3, uh, here's the accusation. Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. In their eyes, there is no more serious accusation that could be leveled against a fellow Jew. Peter had broken the religious taboo. He had done the unthinkable. He had went and broke bread with uncircumcised people. Uh, he had defiled himself. By the way, you know what's strangely silent in this chapter? Where were the other apostles? Makes you want to kind of step into that scene. Hey, Andrew, you going to speak up for your brother here? John, uh, why... Do you remain silent when a fellow apostle and partner is being attacked? But we don't see them speaking up for them specifically here. So Peter met the accusation well, and he understands. Guess who else was hesitant to accept this in the beginning? Peter was too, remember? And so Peter understands where they're coming from, and he patiently takes the time to explain all that happened to them. He gives testimony. He makes it clear that prayer started at all. He said that he was... Uh, in the beginning, praying. 
And he, uh, he was not acting in a self-guided way. He had been praying. When he mentioned the vision, all of them could identify. Uh, they all knew those laws by heart that made these animals unclean. The sheet descending to and from heaven uh, with filled with unclean creatures. It would have been a shock to them just like it was a shock to Peter. And then that God called these creatures clean would fascinate them. The vision must have impressed them as much as it did him. Uh, they basically renounced these Levitical laws and that they lived and died by. And so now everything was changing for them, all because of one man's vision. Verse 10, uh, we see the repetitive nature of it. Uh, it was done three times. Uh, Peter said, three times God had to drill this into me. First I couldn't see it. Then I wouldn't see it. Now I see it clearly. Have you ever been there before in your life? It takes a little bit of time for God to work in what you need to be uh, doing next. Verse 12, the Spirit bade me to go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied we entered into the man's house. Now Peter sees how wise it was to take witnesses. Remember that? What we talked about way back uh, in the former chapter when he took these witnesses with him. Now he sees the wisdom in that. Wouldn't be his word alone, but the testimony of six witnesses. By the way, that's twice the number that's required by Mosaic law. Peter was going to be sure, if I go, I'm going to take some witnesses with me, and more than's even required. Peter had not made this move lightly. He said, the Spirit bade me to go with them. It is a great thing for us to make sure that we have the mind of the Spirit in whatever we do. That's true in all of life's decisions, particularly if we're looking at a major change in our life. If we're looking at a major change of direction, we ought to make sure that God's in it. We don't want to just make willy-nilly decisions. And too often we're in a big hurry to make a major life decision and we don't involve God in making of that decision. Or we make the decision tainted by our own desires. I love the illustration. I've given it before, but the pastor that got a call to another church he uh, got a call from a church that was bigger, had a bigger salary. They gave him a car for the church. They, it was in a milder climate. Everything was better, much better than the rascals he was dealing with in his current ministry. So he rushed home. He told his wife what he had gotten this offer. And he, she said, what did you tell him? He said, I told him I'd pray about it. She says, I'll pray with you. He said, no, you pray. I'm going to go start packing. That's how we often pray. We, uh, we pray how we want. We pray for what we want until we get what we want. Peter, by nature, was a very spontaneous type, but here he's making clear this was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. God was leading here, and when the Spirit leads, things are done correctly as was done here. Peter recounts the story of the conversion in verse 13 and 14, how Cornelius received the guidance of God. Peter directs them now to Cornelius' side of the story. By the way, we talked about last week, because this is such a monumental shift in the Bible and what is changing in the Gentiles becoming recipients, you see Cornelius' story twice and Peter's story twice because the Holy Spirit wants to make sure that this is very clearly set down in Scripture for us. So uh, he told them how God worked in the heart of this centurion how he had worked on his own. He talked in verses 15 and 16 how it was an identical gift that they got when they received the Holy Spirit, uh, that it happened just as it did with us. 
Just what happened with us when we were in the upper room, God proved here that he was no respecter of persons. Listen, friends, the gospel is for everyone. We don't decide who it's for. We give the gospel to everyone that we, are, uh, that we come in contact with, that we are able to reach. It was, uh, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love you more than he loves the bum on the street. He doesn't love you more or less than he loves kings, queens, presidents, and dignitaries. He loves everyone equally. It was an identical gift. It was also an identifying gift. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Now Peter puts the ball in their court here. Now it's time for their response. Peter had no intention of hindering God. Who am I to hinder God here? What about you? He's essentially saying here. Checkmate. The dissenters had been checkmated by the Holy Spirit. So they looked at each other. They looked at Peter. They looked at Peter's witnesses, which were nodding in agreement with what Peter said. 2,000 years of Jewish prejudice against the Gentiles had to be set aside. But they had absolute evidence that God is at work here. There's nothing they could say against Peter. His story was a clear account of God leading. So look at their response. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles, granted repentance unto life. What else could they do? They had God's clear message here. They, more than that, they glorified God. They not only accepted what he said, but they rejoiced that the Gentiles too were now being able to be added to the fellowship of the church. Listen, it's a, I understand and we look at their hesitancies like a bunch of old fuddy-duddies that weren't ready to accept. What, but yet, you have to understand the deep ingraining of what they've had all their life. And the fact that now they're ready to accept them, it is a blessing that they responded this way. When men of God in leadership lead us the way God leads them, we follow. We ought to follow. Of course, we need to have to discernment, but it always bothers me when God is moving in a church and it's inevitable that there are some that resist like it's their spiritual gift to stand in the way of progress or to stand in the way of God's moving. So the, they accepted it. A move uh, here we see in verse 19 to reach people in foreign lands. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch. The door has been opened to the Gentiles. Notice with the Holy Spirit what he does next and he directs people to send that gospel to the Gentile lands. Uh, Phoenicia was an old Philistine country. Cyprus was an island off the coast of Syria. Antioch was 300 miles north of Jerusalem. These are places that Christians went to escape the persecution uh, in Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad. And by scattering these burning coals of Christianity, little fires could start up all over the place. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 19. The preaching, the word. Now they that were scattered abroad, the persecution of those about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So at this, to this point, they were only spreading the good news of the gospel among their people. To the Jew first has been the basic program so far. 
But verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spoken to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. So Cy, Cyprus and Cyrenian Jews took the first daring step here. Uh, there in this pagan, immoral city of Antioch, these Jewish Christians crossed the great divide. Uh, Peter had unlocked the door in Caesarea. Now they pushed it on, on open. Think of the blessing when they realized we can give the gospel to anyone that we meet, including the heathen, the Gentiles, the dogs, the people that they had looked down on so much before. One of them might have said this. I heard the gospel of John. Uh, the apostle John said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, don't you love that word, whosoever, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you know that whosoever includes you? Whosoever includes me, whosoever includes everybody. Doesn't that include Gentiles? Why, yes, it does. Another one could probably say, I once heard Peter say that just before Jesus went to heaven, he said that we were to be the witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but then he also said the uttermost parts of the world, where the icky people live. Everybody is a recipient of the gospel. Surely that includes Gentiles, and it did. So these Jewish Christians took their first major step in Gentile world evangelism. They began to preach the Lord Jesus to needy Gentiles. One of the most wicked cities in the world is where they started. Now look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There was instant revival. The message of the gospel was like water to a thirsty man. The Gentiles, which were tired of their pagan superstitions, their hopeless faith in dead gods, their instantly recognized the truth, they responded to the name of Jesus. Soon, Je By the way, I told you this before, but we, we know by now, looking backward, that very soon the Gentiles are going to outnumber the Jews in the church, and it'll always be that way until the rapture of Jesus Christ. Now, look at uh, two young men here, or two new men, the tidings of these things, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church that were in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. The news of what happened in Antioch is causing a stir in Jerusalem. Even though uh, Peter had officially opened the door to the church of the Gentiles, it seems it never occurred to any of them to take the step and actually send somebody to uh, evangelize the Gentile nations. So the Jerusalem church heard about what's going on in Antioch, and they decided we're going to have to investigate this. They sent Barnabas to investigate it. They, they really missed an opportunity to be the first church to begin Gentile world evangeliz evangelization there. But the idea was new. It was being challenged by many ingrained traditions. They probably heard the death knell of any local church. You know what those words are? We've never done it this way before. That's like the... That's, every pastor hates to hear those words. We've never done it this way before. Barnabas was selected to go and see what was happening to Antioch. Uh, we've met Barnabas before. We'll meet him again. Look, a better man could not be chosen. Barnabas was that great encourager. He was the one that was uh, always uh, helping people and pushing them uh, closer to Lord Jesus Christ and helping them to grow. Uh, he was a sensible man. Uh, in verse 23, look at what the Bible says. Not only was he a sent man, but a sensible man, who when he came had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. This is the kind of man that Barnabas was. He wasn't critical, wasn't jealous, 
at someone else's success. He was thrilled and delighted to see the Gentiles responding to the gospel. Barnabas rejoiced to hear them give their testimonies. But Barnabas was a practical man too. He was a man that uh, could see the danger in people making a light decision. The old way into the fold would have been too hard. That required circumcision and adapting all the rules of the of the uh, Jews, this new way might seem too easy. And he recognized that. You think that easy believism is only something we deal with today? He would have seen that even then. There's a danger to false profession of faith. So Barnabas wanted to make sure their decision was true. So the Bible says he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. Salvation, by the way, is a matter of the heart, not the head. The uh, expression here to cleave in unto literally means to remain with. The same words used in Acts 18.18 18, when Paul is in Corinth, and Paul, by the, the Bible says, after this tarried there yet a good while. Same word, to remain with. So yes, Barnabas is thrilled with what's happening, but he is also sensible enough not to let them get carried away with their emotion. It's a wise thing for all of us to do. I love the excitement of a new Christian. Uh, there's nothing better than the excitement of a new Christian. We have folks coming right now, new Christians that I'm working with. I worked with a young lady this week uh, doing some uh, Bible study with and uh, just excited and fired up and about being a part of a church and, and uh, talk to others who are just ready to set the world on fire for God. And that's a blessing. I don't ever want to get in the way of that but we must ground these folks into the truth of the Word of God. Because without that, that'll fizzle out. None of us want to be just a, uh, a, a sparkler. You know, a lot of people are like sparklers. They, you light them, you light them, and they're fun. They fizzle, and they sparkle, and they show some light for a while. And then what happens after a couple of minutes? They just, they just fizzle out. We don't want to be a sparkler for God. We want to uh, continue to burn for Him. And so He... Grounded, uh, wanted to ground them in the truth here. Verse 24, he was also a spiritual man. The Bible says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. He was a good man. That says something about his character. He was like Jesus, who, who Peter said went about doing good, chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, he was also, the Bible says, full of the Holy Ghost. That says something about his Christianity. He was a person... Uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that is a person who is Christ-like in character, in conduct, and in conversation. So, good man, character, full of the Holy Ghost, Christianity, and then full of faith says something about his commitment. Barnabas was a great believer. He took God at his word and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ implicitly. This was a man who urged these new Gentile converts to make a life commitment to Christ. What a blessing Barnabas was. Then, Look at verse 25. Here, Barnabas, I believe, starts to realize this is too big for him. He realizes we need someone uh, to, to take this work to the next level. This is only the beginning. After all, we have a vast Gentile world opening up that needs the gospel. Who are we going to get to give the gospel to these Gentiles? Who could it be? Uh, could it uh, be Peter? Well, Peter was a good man, but he was not a man for a job like this. John? Andrew, no, they were just fishermen. Apostles, but just fishermen. Philip the evangelist, too bad Stephen's dead. Stephen would be perfect for this job, but he's gone. 
Then it came to him, verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Saul was as bold as a lion. Saul was brilliant. He was burdened for souls. He was a Jew by birth. He was a Greek by culture. And he was a Roman by citizenship. Who is better than Saul of Tarsus? Hey, isn't it encouraging that God knows what he's doing? And when he reached down and plucked the apostle Paul, then Saul of Tarsus, out of his sins, saved his soul and set him on the path to serving him, uh, God knew who he was picking. God knows what he's doing, and he has his man in place. So Barnabas packed his bags, not heading south, but heading north to find a man with the zeal, with the vision and the education, the natural talents and all that was needed. He was a perfect man. Paul was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He had to look for him. Uh, verse 25, where it says, For to seek Saul, that word uh, for seek is anazeteo. It literally means to make diligent search. This word is used only once before in the New Testament. It's when Jesus went with his parents to the temple when he was 12 years old. You remember on the way home, they lost him? That's what kids do. They wander. And, of course, Jesus didn't wander. Jesus was back confounding the, the uh, religious leaders. But they lost Jesus. And Luke says they sought him among their family and friends. And when they found him not, Luke 2.45, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking amazateo, him. Same word. This is the same seeking that Barnabas often search of Saul. We see in verse 26 their faithfulness. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. It would have been immediately apparent that Saul would be the right man for this job. There's several years have passed since Barnabas has said goodbye to him, but he's, he's grown in grace. He's increased in the knowledge of God. He's become a spiritual giant. And their great truths that form the backbone of the epistles that he's going to write later are already forming in his mind. And Barnabas now uh, turned from the encourager that led Saul. Uh, remember, he facilitated the meeting with the apostles and spoke up for him. And now Barnabas, from this point on, is going to be a student of this great man. Look at their fruitfulness, verse 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christian was at first a nickname, probably a derogatory one. But at the time, uh, even though it was derogatory at the time and now, it is an appropriate one. The name identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ and it identifies Him with us. It's all the more reason for us to be a people that is godly in character, conduct, and conversation because the very name that we bear, we're advertising to the world that we're His. Look, I've got nothing against Christian bumper stickers. But if you have a Christian bumper sticker, don't cut people off in traffic. Amen? Don't run red lights. If you're going to have a fish on the back of your car, live like a Christian. Amen? Uh, we, we want to uh, have a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're advertising the world. I'm His. So let's live that way. Now, look at their fellowship, verse 27 and 28. And those days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the day of Claudius Caesar. So we have prophets here in the New Testament. Like the prophets of the Old Testament, they were foretellers, more than foretellers. But here is Agabus. Actually, by the way, the prophet 
The gift of prophecy was a transitional gift given to the early church. Uh, the gift of prophecy, as we see it here, is not uh, available for us today, or we don't have it today because we have this right here. There are certain gifts that Jesus or that God gave to the early church that no longer is there because we now have the completed Word of God. 1 Corinthians 13 talks clearly about some of those things being put away with. And so, here we have Agabus. He, gives the, uh, he, give, he tells the future through the, through the Holy Spirit, announces the coming of a famine. Luke adds the, the note that this prophecy was fulfilled in the days of Claudius. He was their fourth Roman emperor. Look what they did in verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, and which also they did, and sent it by the elders, uh, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The Antioch Christians, each one made a contribution to the relief fund. Now, this is the first time a church is, in the early church, we're seeing where a church takes up a collection to help another church. And here's an interesting thing I noticed. Notice the flow of money is not from the the original church to the mission field, but the flow of the money is from the mission field to the original church. We've been doing this wrong all these years. They should be sending us money. Amen. It's a blessing to see the care that believers had for one another. And a few things that we take away from this chapter and just uh, love to see the Lord do this great work, but uh, one of the, the takeaways that I have from this is the reaction. This was deep, deep, deep ingrained beliefs that they had. We can't sit down with Gentiles. And yet, when God led, they accepted. It took a little bit of convincing, but it took a little bit of convincing for Peter too. But when they saw clearly this is God's will, they rejoiced. I'm glad for that. I'm so glad for that. Because we, in our churches today, we have also the opportunity sometimes when there are expansions or different directions of ministries and, and different things that we want to take on. Even today, we took on two missionaries. Uh, that's a big deal to support missionaries and make a long-time commitment to them. And when we do these things, and we have this opportunity for God to do a work, we ought to rejoice in it. And that's what they did. And then the care that they showed for one another and the, the, uh, the, the blessing that came from it. I, I love to see, uh, you know, again, all this was new. And uh, they are just excited about getting the gospel into everybody's hand, and we ought to be as well. So, Father, we